Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's mentally yours. Hi, I'm Ellen. And I'm Yvette. And this is Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. We're in Bills in High Street, Kensington, recording it. So this week we're talking to Vicky Chandler about health anxiety. Vicky's told me about her health anxiety before. Basically, it's like when you Google a symptom and it says you have cancer, but instead of just obsessing over it for like an hour, she'll do it for days and months and it will become all-consuming. But before we get on to that, let's recap what we were talking about last week, which was BPD. So they kind of think that it stems from, at a young age, having disruptive relationships, maybe with friends or family, um, that means that you react slightly differently to things as you would as an adult. So, for example, the best way I can explain it is like having the top layer of your emotional skin taken off. Mm -hmm. So something that for you might be a little bit frustrating, for me feels like the end of the world. So, without further ado, let's welcome Vicky Chandler. Health anxiety is pretty much what it says on the tin. It's about being anxious about your health. Uh, it can mean many different things to many different people, though. Some people are fixated on one particular condition. Some people get lots of different conditions. For me, it's a wide variety of things. I tend to go from one health issue to another. And basically, it's me convincing myself that I have some sort of deadly disease or issue and it's going to kill me. How is it different from probably that thing that I think a lot of us have done? Well, I certainly have. I remember I had this one time when I kind of got a rash and I went on NHS Direct 
and I managed to convince myself I had meningitis. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought about that for maybe like a couple of hours, and then I think I just got distracted by something else. So for a while, I was a bit anxious about that. I might have rung an NHS direct, but how is it different? So if I were in your situation, uh, maybe not so much now, I have got better, but in my peak anxiousness, I would have seen that rash and that was it. I'd have been fixated on it. I would have, or I, I still do sometimes, I Google everything to do with rashes on your arms and I would physically convince myself that I had meningitis. So an example was, after I'd had a particularly bad panic attack, my entire body was tingling and so I googled tingling body and the first thing that came up was multiple sclerosis. There you go, I'd convinced myself I had MS. And um, I went to the doctor about it and he went, oh, don't worry, um, the, first, the first symptom of MS is usually that you have something wrong with your eyes. And the next day I woke up and I was like fully blind and I could not see anything. Like all, I had like all spots in my vision and I properly convinced myself that that's it. I was like, I'm gonna count down the days till I'm dead. So when you lost your sight then, has, mm. had that actually been your anxiety because you'd heard that triggering that? Yeah. So it's what I've learned through doing cognitive behavioural therapy. It's called selective attention, whereby you become fixated so much on something that you can feel it. So, yeah, so like the tingling in my skin, because I was constantly thinking about the tingling in my skin and constantly thinking about the, the black spots I could see in my eyes, it was there all the time. It was like a constant... It was a constant thing. And then one day, when I went on to my next illness, that's it, I don't see black spots in my eye anymore. It's, it's, it's bizarre. For people that don't experience health anxiety, I know it's so bizarre to like hear it. And now I think it's bizarre saying it now, but at the time, it's fr- so frightening. How long do these sort of fixations on the different conditions generally last? Uh, around like a... I'd say a couple of months. So in the past year, I've had MS, breast cancer, cervical cancer, uh, melanoma. It's like I'm checking my body. I go through different ailments that I can have, and then I find those ailments in me to see if I to see if I have it. Is there like a physical trigger, or is it completely just? something goes in your brain where you're like no I've got this thing now I find it not physical but more of like a mental trigger I notice it gets worse when I'm stressed Mm. Um, if I feel like I'm losing control of the situation or I'm having a very stressful time at work or in my personal life my way of controlling myself is controlling my health most recently I went to a breast cancer uh, screening clinic because I found a lump which is understandably very scary for anyone but that's it for me like uh, uh, someone who doesn't have their health anxiety might just think, oh, I've got a lump, I'll go get that checked out. But it was like my constant obsession. I'd check, I'd be going to the bathroom at work just so I could take off my top and like check the lump to see if it changed, see if it got bigger. And then I went to the breast screening clinic and they were like, oh yeah, it's there, but it's nothing. When did you kind of realise it was a problem? Um, can't even that's really bad I can't even pinpoint a time where I really found it affecting me but I do remember a lot at uni just being in a sort of daze not really wanting to go out making a lot of doctor's appointments I was I was there was this like a, I was very concerned at uni that uh, I'd I had cervical cancer and that was the, definitely the starting point because I was really conscious that I couldn't have a smear test because I wasn't 25 
and that really distressed me and I really wanted one. So then I started convincing myself that I had all the symptoms of, of cervical cancer and I kept pushing and pushing and pushing the doctors. And I think the back and forth then was when I sort of started to realize, oh, I'm a bit more fixated on this than I think a, a normal healthy yeah. person would be. Did someone point it out to you or did you come and decide actually this might be health anxiety? Um, I think it was more when I was at work that I realised it was health anxiety. Um, I always used to joke that I was a hypochondriac. I go, oh, you're such a hypochondriac. But when I realised it was actually a problem was, yeah, at work when I start, started noticing that there was more and more health problems I was worried about. And then I went to my doctor about it and said that I just feel really anxious all the time and it's really unlike me and they recommended me to self-refer myself to do CBT and that's when I fully came to terms with exactly what was going on. So you mentioned CBT being a huge help Mm. um, but you also mentioned that it tends to these anxieties tend to get worse when you're feeling sort of like you have less control or you're more stressed. Mm. Um, Have you taken any measures to kind of reduce stress or is there anything that you find helps you manage your condition or reduce stress in general? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I am in the sort of industry where I do have a very stressful job. I go out a lot. Uh, I go out drinking a lot with friends and events and things like that. So I never have time to relax. And I'm always... I do, I burn the candle at both ends. And um, I do notice when I actually sleep more and I attempt to sleep more and... um, and I stop worrying about things so much. I'm a massive worrier and I have to try and like just let things go. Like if something's really annoyed me at work, I just have to let it go because otherwise I'm just going to get stressed out about it. It's been very hard to learn, but um, slowly over time, it's got it's, better, but sleep. Is that stuff thing. that you've learned through CBT? Uh, yeah, definitely. And Do what, you still see someone for that or are there still exercises you're using? Um, so no, I don't see it anymore. I've finished my course. Uh, I now do self-CBT where I take everything that, um, that I learned during my course and I have to apply it and I still like sit down every Wednesday evening and um, kind of give myself a little therapy session. How do you do that? CBT is basically, it's not like talking therapy, it's in the sense that you uh, get given exercises and homework almost to kind of get you out of that because I don't need to talk about it. like. I, could, I don't need to talk about it with a therapist. I just need to get myself out of that rut. So we do lots of different experiments and different trials. So I mentioned one about um, doing the one day I am allowed to check my body loads, one day I'm not. Uh, I also have like charts where I used to rate uh, every hour what I was doing and on a scale of one to 10, how anxious I was. And that allowed me to start pinpointing moments in the day where I was getting anxious or maybe things that I did. I just had to do things like, uh, I may have had to go on scaremongering health websites and read every article on there with what what issue I was worried about. So yeah, I'd read lots of scaremongering breast cancer articles about women that got breast cancer, but they thought it was just the handbag hurting them. Things like that. Uh, did that help? It didn't at first. Yeah, that sounds But it did, it did, because it got me to, it got me to learn to not take everything yeah. so literally. Like, it was one case, and it's, and it's an article. It's not the full story. It's not the full picture. So, yeah, self-CBT was basically, at the end of the course, I had to take all those experiments, 
And so every week I'd sit down, I'd go, what went well this week? What didn't go well this week? Oh God, I kept checking, I went to the doctors. Okay, I'm gonna give myself a task. I am going to say that I'm worried about X, Y, Z. I am not allowed to book a doctor's appointment for two weeks. And if that, in two weeks, I'm still worried about it, that's when I can go see the doctor. When normally I'd try and get an emergency appointment for the next day. So that's sort of what the self-CBT is. How do you think that the internet affects health anxiety? Because I think it's so easy to Google and have the worst possible thing come up. And also there's so many articles where it's like, this will give you cancer or this will do oh, this. I know, and it's awful because I work in digital and yeah. I love the internet, but at the same time, it's my worst enemy. Being able to have every source of information at your fingertips is so dangerous and half of it's not true like yeah what I did learn to do was if I was going to google something I'd google some the condition then NHS rather than googling and getting all of these forums with a bunch of other health anxious people all convincing each other that they had cancer or they were going to die in like in a month um I learned to filter the searches then I eventually learned to not search at all I mean I am guilty I still do search sometimes uh, yeah yeah and sometimes I think you won't even be searching things will pop up on your yeah. social feeds and everything yeah but you just have to tune them out and understand like this actually isn't real and it's just one person yeah it mean and it's happening to you that was my biggest uh, hurdle to overcome was to stop the googling and to stop the searching of symptoms it was that was the hardest one because I could get lost. I'd be waking up at 2 a.m. googling, and it'd be four o'clock in the morning, and I would have filled my phone. If you just look through my phone history, and I would have had pictures of like cancerous moles, um, breast cancer symptoms, or whatever condition I was worried about at the time. But yeah, I would have just every forum. I would have gone through forums and found people who whose doctors said they were cancer-free, but really they weren't, and yeah i got it was i got myself into a right state over it and um the the, the searching of the symptoms is definitely a big thing i wouldn't recommend doing no. it you're not at the end of the day we're not doctors exactly and we can't diagnose ourselves were you ever actually anxious going to the gp or going to the hospital i don't know if you went to the hospital but going to the gp because you know you could argue that you know G gps aren't necessarily the healthiest of places yes Oh, about catching... See, I was never worried about catching something. And this is, this is again, what I learned through my therapist. Um, it was more about something lurking that I couldn't oh, okay. see. Mm. I, I know another health-anxious person, and they are worried that they would ca uh, catch something like HIV or AIDS. And that was their fixation. But I was, I've never been worried about things like that, and I've never been worried about going into a doctor's and catching something. Mm. What I was worried about going to the doctor's for was that you see all these things in the news about GPs being under pressure and uh, they've, only, they've only got 10 minutes to talk to you and so they're not going to diagnose you properly. So I was convincing myself that they weren't taking their time and that they were just sending me on my merry way and not actually diagnosing me properly. Mm. So I'd go for a second or a third opinion or I'd like beg my parents to lend me money so that I could go privately, convinced that a private doctor would tell me what I wanted to hear. Or in the case of the... Uh, the black spots in my eye I just rang rang my mum uh, and said I need to go to Moorfields Eye Hospital a a like ASAP like I'm going blind um, this is it I need them to diagnose me and I just rushed myself to A&E instead 
which I have done a couple of times. And I know people who will listen to this now and be like, oh, she's draining the NHS of all their resources. And trust me, I have thought about that so many times. But uh, it's really hard to tell someone in the yeah. moment when they genuinely think they're going to drop down dead. Exactly. But also you had a genuine mental health yeah. issue. Yeah. So that's just as, you know, you deserve treatment as much as someone with a physical issue. Yeah. But for a long time, even I was ignorant that I had a mental health issue. I just thought that I was ill. Mm. And... Um, I never thought I'd have a, I had a mental health issue. Looking back, I was a very anxious pers- person growing up. Never thought it. I, I was like, me, depressed, anxious? No, but actually I was, and I was so ignorant to it. Uh, it wasn't until I got a bit older and was actually thought, and until people actually started talking about it more, and that made me a bit more confident to actually look at myself and be like, mm, yeah, I do have a bit of a problem. What was it like sort of rushing to any in those sort of cases? Did you get seen fairly quickly or did you have to wait a long time yeah I got seen fairly quickly in the case of the eyes uh, they had to put these drops into my eye that turns me blind for three hours so that they they could look into the back of my head uh, properly and um, I was sobbing to the eye doctor sobbing that A I'm going to die B I'm so sorry for wasting my time I kind of like there was half of me that knew I was fine half of me that thought oh no you never know but yeah, it was exhausting, and it was exhausting for my poor mum. She was the one that she's the one that's had to like be with me, take the time off work to uh, to come to come with me and make sure I'm okay. Generally, on Mentally Yours, we like to have some cheerful stuff. Do you have any funny stories related to this? I hope you don't find this offensive, but what you said your boyfriend had taken loads of pictures of all your moles. Yes. Do you now have like a massive back catalogue <laughs> of all these pictures? I actually have a Dropbox folder titled moles. You're and it's kidding. just really... And sometimes I have to like... I also use that Dropbox for work and sometimes I have to get pictures up and I'm like, oh no, I hope they don't see this folder with the word moles on it. <laughs> and also some of them are like when like I'm just about to get out of the shower or like I've just, just about to get into the shower... So I've got, like, pictures of, like, the side of my bum and things. I'm like, oh, my God, say I accidentally put these on Facebook and there's just, like, a bunch of, like, moly pictures of myself. Like, there's probably a really specific, um, f- I don't know, I'm, I'm sure... Yeah, fetish site? Yes, fetish, <laughs> yeah. that's the word no, I was going well, I mean, for. I have there a whole be. folder for them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that would be somebody's <laughs> idea of a dream, yeah. wouldn't it? it absolutely is. But a lot of the things I can laugh about and, like... I have told my friends about it and we all can have a little joke and like, oh God, Vicky, thinking she's got MS or breast cancer, or, you never know. And like, still now, I, even as I was saying that, I got a little jump in my heart where I thought, oh, I'm playing, I'm playing with, with fire here because I might, I might be laughing about it, but I might really have it. So it's still a little part, if you understand what I mean, yeah, it's still a little part sure. of me that's like niggling, like, don't say you don't have breast cancer in case you do and like everyone will laugh at you for... For saying you don't. First of all, no one would laugh yeah, at you. I know. <laughs> no one would go back and be like, she said she didn't have breast yeah, cancer. But you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you actually feel when you do get ill? Uh, That's a quite sort of a general question, isn't it? But mm. I suppose what I'm asking really is, have you had sort of a... Um, like coughs and colds sort of illness? Yeah. I don't really get them. I don't get ill like that. Have you had a sort of specific illness that was, I don't know, semi-serious and... Um, that's the thing. I've never actually had a, had an illness, like a physical illness, to be worried about. It's just like a mental illness that I've had to be. But it does about. sound like it is interesting because you're you are managing that other sort of physical condition and not worrying about it, which is great. Um, yes, yeah, it's strange because that's never bothered me in life. Mm. Never ever bothered me. Yeah. 
It's more about things that I think are there that aren't. Do you think that has been a trigger, though? Because you mentioned going to hostels a lot, being told you had to be cautious and kind yeah, of... That's the thing. I'm like, I try and think of a trigger. Yeah. And I can't. I mean, if I had to put something on it, it would be that my granddad died seven years ago and he died of stomach cancer. And it was very sudden. He got diagnosed in the November, died in the July. He was always very healthy. And so that, for me was a huge shock. I was 15. It was a massive shock to suddenly see... He didn't really drink, he never smoked, and he suddenly got cancer and died. And I think that that put that sort of fear into the back of my mind that it's very easy to have a condition and not know about it and then die. And even though my grandma was in his 70s and he was an old, he was an old man, and but, yeah, so I think that for me was like a sudden, ooh. And someone said to me... Do you think it would have been different if your granddad had uh, been been killed in a car crash? Would you be scared to drive a car? Would you be scared to cross the road? And I was actually thinking, yeah, I probably would be. So I do think that uh, that probably was a big trigger. Another thing that I haven't mentioned, but now I'm thinking about it, another big fear for me was, and still is, is death. Yeah. I generally had a huge fear of dying. Not just dying young, but just generally dying in itself and the thought of the thought of not existing and I've had that since I was very young like I used to have nightmares about it when I was like six or seven which is actually really not very good for a six or seven year old but I've always very much remember being worried about it and I used to cry to my mom like I don't want to die and mom was like oh it's the it's 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 life like yeah. that's what happens there's not really an answer for it which is worrying and I went, yeah I know and that's the thing and I, again it got brought up in my therapy sessions and I was like I'm so worried about dying and she was like you can't be worried about something that's inevitable she's like you've got to just stop thinking about that because you don't know when that's going to happen and you've just got to think about yourself in this moment and actually now now I'm see I'm talking about it now I'd never be able to talk about it before I used to get start getting heart palpitations and sweating and I, but yeah now I can talk about it and I'm just like mm, it worries me but I think it worries everyone I think it's a yeah. very unnerving an unnerving thought for everyone exactly no one likes to accept no. the fact that one day they will die but I think some people get very excited but, on yeah. it yeah and now, yeah, I think, and I go, oh, that's a, that's a horrible thought. It's not yeah. very nice. No, no one wants to die. But, uh, yeah, I, I had to learn to come out of that rut as well. And I slowly did. That was one of the last things during my course of, like, three or four months of therapy. That was one of the last things I managed to overcome, which was was good. It was That was a big achievement. Yeah, that's a huge achievement. <laughs> like, tick off, no longer obsessing about yeah, death. No longer obsessing over it. Well, we are really very angry about this shit. Yes, we are really very angry about this shit. Something I'm pretty angry about this week is kind of off the back of, the, of something that Vicky said about when she went into A&E to be seen for her health anxiety. And it's basically the difference between the way that people with physical illnesses are treated to the way that people with mental health issues are treated. So Vicky was saying that, you know, she felt kind of guilty about having gone to any because she had a mental health issue and she was just, oh, I'm wasting their time. And the fact is she had a mental health issue that needed treatment. And I think there's a, there's definitely a double standard in a lot of things like that. People sort of think, I mean, certainly with funding, we can go right across the NHS, 
but there's, there's definitely sort of a double standard between physical illness and mental illness um, and you can look at it things to do with work as well sort of if you've it still seems easier to say I'm having a week off for well I'm having a few months off for a physical illness I broke my leg rather than I need to have a few months off because I'm extremely mentally ill so that's what I'm angry about. That's definitely the case. I think there's a huge disconnect. I'm really lucky because most of my GPs have been brilliant with my mental health. Um, I have had a couple of instances of people not being so brilliant. Um, but I think what's frustrating is, in the case of Vicky especially, if they had kind of taken the time to realise what was actually going on and yeah. sorting her out with treatment, it would have saved a lot of kind of NHS time and money. Yeah. And it's just if... I know it's difficult and I don't ever want to kind of blame doctors because they're so overworked and it's not their fault. But it is just the realisation that we need to have kind of as a society that if you think mental health problems are using up too much money and time, you need to help fix them. That will reduce the amount of time that they're taking up and it will generally make everything a lot better. It's something that needs to be taken seriously and it's ne- it just needs to be sorted out. I think I get angry about this like once a week at least where it's like of course you should take this seriously it's people are literally dying because of this mm. why are we not how can it even be the fact that there are doctors that aren't taking it seriously or aren't giving adequate care it's infuriating i think maybe one of the problems might be that some people still have the feeling that mental health issues are somehow the fault of the person who has them so whether that's I don't know, some sort of personality fault or kind of some sort of weakness. So it's almost like they're bringing it on themselves or in terms of kind of injuries or the, the physical side of things. If someone has an eating disorder, they're, they're doing it to themselves um, or in the sort of worst possible case in terms of suicide, it's sort of, it's, it's almost their fault, which of course it completely isn't. But I mean, I think it's kind of horrendous because you wouldn't say to somebody with a serious physical health condition you know it's your fault you've got cancer or it's your fault Mm. that you've got this it's um so why are we sort of why do we have that kind of view yeah like no one would choose to be struggling mentally i think think that's one thing that's kind of helped is someone said to me once that mental illness is a physical illness which kind of don't agree with because that's i mean it's it's sort of confusing but in a way it's kind of like at least that makes it on the same level. Yeah, and it's it's your brain. It's a part of your body. Yeah, and it's affected. Stupid crap! My brain has told me that's boring. Oh, stupid, 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 stupid. Oh. Stupid crap! My brain tells me sometimes, not just at four a.m., but in general when I can't sleep, is recently. You should just stop taking your pills because they're not really working which I know is not smart, and I know that any kind of changes to your medication, you should talk with your doctor. But I think sometimes when things don't feel like they're working or things feel like they're getting worse, it's very easy to just get frustrated and want to just completely give up. Um, So I was dealing with that a lot for the last few weeks, but I have now gone to the doctor and actually upped my medication because it should be working, and Mm -hmm. it's concerning that it hasn't. But yeah, I don't know if that's a common thing, like thinking oh I'll just give it up like I know what's best it's pointless it definitely takes a while to work out what's right for you yeah in terms of what's the right drug for you what's the right dosage so there is definitely an element I think for everyone of sort of 
playing around with yeah. you know, until, until you and get I it right. I think also with antidepressants especially, there's this cycle of um, you take them, you start to feel a bit better. You're like, oh, I'm better, I'll stop. Mm-hmm. And then you crash down again because I kind of watch that pattern a lot. My mom has given me permission to talk about this, so it's fine. With my mom, that was a cycle that I saw her going through a lot. And that's part of the reason why I was put off taking antidepressants in the first place. Um, which I think is partly also why when I noticed myself thinking I'll just stop taking them, I was able to quite quickly say, no, that's a bad idea and go to my doctor instead. So this is goodbye. From mentally yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores. From mentally, 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 Thanks very much to our guest, Vicky Chandler, and to our producer, Sam Bonham, and to Lucy Baker, who does our lovely jingles. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to Mentally Yours on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you really like what you hear, please give us a review and uh, rate us. That would be lovely. And also, if you fancy it, give us a follow on Twitter. We're oh, yeah. at Mentally Yours, with yours spelled Y-R-S. Next week, our guest is the lovely Tina Campbell, and we'll be talking about what it's like to go into a mental health unit. Tina. Hello. You need to hold your microphone like this, right to your chin, right to your chin, like literally like that. Like that. It's, and it's really like, at the end of it, you'll, it'll feel like you'll, you'll, you've been snogging someone with stubble. Always yeah, feels like that. Which is yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah. Say, if only. 